the last few months I've been promising, excuse me, I'm sorry, Jubilee, last few months I've been promising or threatening, depending on your perspective, uh, to go through a book of the Bible. And uh, today is the day we're going we're gonna to be uh, walking through the book of Acts, as you, as you just saw uh, in that video. And uh, I'm excited about it. A few things before we jump in. Uh, the first one is, uh, I don't know exactly how long it's going to take us to get through it. Uh, I'm hoping it's going to be about the, the length of, of the summer. Um, there's already several weeks in there that I know we're, uh, we're, we're not going to be in Acts. We're not going to be dogmatic about it. Um, I'm either going to be gone or I already have something else planned. But I'm hoping it'll be about the length of the summer. Um, secondly, is uh, uh, I think it would be great. Uh, I would encourage you strongly uh, if you call Wellspring home and you're going to be here walking with us through this journey um, to, to go ahead and read the book. It's actually a narrative. It's a story. And there is no possible way I'm going to be able to, to, to look at every single thing uh, in the book. Or it would be next summer before we're done. At the earliest. So... Now, I'm going to just necessarily so skip certain uh, scenes in this story, skip certain chapters in this story, okay? And so uh, you'll show up here, and from the previous week, it'll feel like you've missed some scenes of the movie, like you showed up 30 minutes late to the movie, and nobody wants to do that, okay? So I think you would find it greatly beneficial uh, to read through the book this week, over the next couple weeks, as we begin this journey through Acts. I mean, if you, if you already have a quiet time, already have a time that you spend with God alone reading His Word, if you would just add acts to that. If you don't uh, already do that, I would encourage you to do it. I think you'd find it beneficial. Um, but you can start by reading acts with the rest of the church. Um, so uh, over the next couple weeks, if you'll just read that, by just an aside, if, if guests come or when guests come, we, we regularly have people visit us. I'll set up the scene. Uh, we'll walk through it. They won't feel like they've missed anything. You'll feel like you've missed something if you haven't read the book because the previous week to, to this week, you'll, you'll, you'll be like, what, what's going on? I mean, how did we get here from last week? Well, it's because we had to skip some scenes of the movie, all right? So if you'll read that, it'll allow you to keep up with where we're at as we walk through the book, the book of Acts. One last thing before we jump in. There's a, a bit of, not controversy, but there's a disagreement among, theolog- among theologians about the nature of the book of Acts. Some theologians, some, some people who, who study this stuff, say that the book of Acts is prescriptive. That this is, it's a prescription for how we should live our lives, to, a prescription of how we should uh, uh, do church. Um, it's a prescriptive for us today. In other words, we're to model or we're to follow the lead of the people in Acts. Others, other theologians would say, no, 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 not, it's not prescriptive at all. It's descriptive. It's just a description of what went on in the early church. God never intended for us to model our, our church, to model our way of, 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 uh, of Christianity after the early church. He just gave this to us. He gave this book to us so we would know how it launched, how it started. We would know the beginning of the church. Putting my cards on the table, this will either uh, excite some of you or infuriate you. I don't know which one. Um, but I believe that it's both. I believe that there's parts of Acts that are prescriptive, and there are other parts of Acts that are descriptive. For example, somebody comes to me and says, completely prescriptive. 
You're, we're supposed to model our church after what happens in the book of Acts. I would take them to the end of chapter 1. And I would say, okay, there were 11 disciples. They needed a 12th one. They cast lots. I promise you we're not casting lots for the next staff member of Wellspring Church. We need, a new, we need a new home group. We're not casting lots for that person, all right? That is descriptive, I believe. In the same token, a verse that we're going to look at today, the, the, the mission statement of the book of Acts is verse 8. We're going to look at that in detail here in just a few minutes. That is prescriptive. The, the same mission he gave them in the first century is the same mission, I hope you'll see at the end of today, that he gives us today. That is prescriptive. We're supposed to model the, the church, the first century church, and what they did and how they took the gospel around the world. So, part of it's prescriptive, part of it's descriptive. My hope is that you'll be able to tell which is which as we begin this journey week after week studying the book of Acts. So, if you have your Bibles, chapter 1, starting in verse 1, let me set this up. When we think of church, when we hear the word church today, many of us will think of an institution, or we'll think of a building, we'll think of a, a room like this with four walls. The early church, when they heard the word church, that was completely foreign to them. They would never have thought of an institution, or they would never have... Uh, in their mind's eye, would have never gone to a building when they heard the word church. For them, church was a movement. It was a movement. It was, it was a story of a man who had lived on this earth, who lived perfectly, never sinned one time, willingly laid down his life, stretched out his arms, was crucified to a cross, buried in a borrowed tomb, and then rose again victoriously. For wretched sinners like you and like me. And so the early church, the first, the first century church, the first Christians, those 12 disciples, and then the, as the story began to, to move from them out to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, to the end of the earth, that when, when they heard church, the thing that would come to their mind was a movement of people rallying around this one event, this one uh, point in time when Jesus rose from the dead. And my hope is that at the end of Acts, at the end of the summer, when we hear church, the same thing will come to mind. Verse 1 of Acts 1, it says this in the first book, and when he says that, he's talking about the, the, uh, the gospel of Luke. Uh, Dr. Luke wrote two books. It was really volume one, volume two. The Gospel of Luke is volume one. The Acts of the Church, or Acts, is volume two. And so he's referencing volume one, the Gospel of Luke. The first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Stop right there. So, the original purpose for writing this book of Acts was this guy, Luke, was, was sent by this other, this, his good friend Theophilus, to substantiate the claims of Jesus. This guy Luke was a follower of Jesus. He was, he was not an eyewitness. He was more like uh, an investigative reporter. He went around and he, he, he followed the trail of Jesus in his ministry. He talked to people who had seen Jesus 
rise from the dead, who had heard about Jesus and their lives had been radically transformed. And Luke went around investigating, reporting, interviewing people who had come in contact with Jesus. And the reason that he did it, the purpose of that, was that his friend, this guy Theophilus, who was probably a Roman official, his name means friend of God, but he did not believe that Jesus initially did not believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. So the reason Luke wrote this was so that his friend Theophilus would come to believe that Jesus was exactly who he claimed to be. That's the purpose of writing the book of Acts originally. Now, the purpose expands and it gets bigger than that when, when God in his sovereignty puts it into his word. But the original purpose of Dr. Luke writing this book, writing the book of Acts, was so that Theophilus would know that Jesus was exactly who he claimed to be. And he did this by following the, the trail that Jesus walked, talking to people who came in contact with him during his ministry. He continues, the first book of Theophilus I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Next verse. He presented himself alive to them. This is Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. Many people uh, substantiate that he saw. He didn't show up to one person or two people. Many people saw him and can prove that he rose from the grave just as he said he would do. Appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Next verse. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Basically, these disciples said, what's your next move? What happens now? We saw you do ministry. We saw you crucified. But now we have seen you risen from the grave. You have resurrected from the dead. What's the next move? Because we're following you. We're ready to go. You want to storm the gates of Israel? Let's go. Let's take it over. What's the next move? And look at how Jesus responds. He said to them, it is not for you to know at times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. He said, that's none of your business. That's up to the Father. And then he gives the mission statement, the purpose of the book of Acts. And here's what he says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So Jesus says, guys, I've been with you for a while. I'm about to leave. But before I leave, I want to give you this promise. When I leave here, when I, when I leave this earth, I'm going to send back the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he is going to give you power. He's going to bring a gift with him. And that gift is going to be power. And it's going to, it's going to be yours when he shows up. The power can be yours. I'm signing up for that. 
I want that. As I was studying, I was thinking about one of my favorite guys in church history, a guy by the name of D.L. Moody. He lived in Chicago, and his, his ministry started by, by uh, working with the homeless, by ministering to the homeless. And um, he began to do a work, and the Holy Spirit, in his power, fell down and, and really blessed that work. So much so that D.L. Moody began to leave uh, the city of Chicago and travel around the different cities, and he would preach in those cities. And when he would preach there, the Holy Spirit would fall in a very, very real and special way. So much so that revival began to spread, a new, a new awakening began to spread everywhere that D.L. Moody went. He, he expanded his ministry uh, across the nation and eventually over to England, to the old country in England. And everywhere D.L. Moody went, the Holy Spirit would rain down in a special way. Great awakening was happening. Revival was happening. Well, in one particular town, there was a, a small church there that was talking about having a revival. And they kept saying, we want D.L. Moody to come. Let's try and get D.L. Moody. Let's do anything that we can to get D.L. Moody to come. Well, in the midst of one of the meetings where they were talking about this, a young man from the front of the auditorium stood up and came to the front and said, guys, y'all keep talking about D.L. Moody, D.L. Moody, D.L. Moody. But I'm telling you, D.L. Moody does not have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit. In the room fell quiet. And about that time, in the back of the room, an older man stood up, a wiser man stood up and said, young man, you're exactly right. The Holy Spirit, D.L. Moody does not have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit, but I'm here to tell you, the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on D.L. Moody. And that is why we must get And I'm just young enough, just naive enough, just crazy enough to believe that the power of the Holy Spirit was not confined to the first disciples or to D.L. Moody. I'm just crazy enough to believe that the same power that fell on them could fall on you, could fall on me, could fall on this church if the Holy Spirit had a monopoly on our lives and on this church. So the question is, does the Holy Spirit, like D.L. Moody, have a monopoly on your life? Does he have a monopoly on our church? He continues in the next verse. He says, and when he had seen these things, I'm sorry, let's go back to the previous one. Can't we believe? It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon, the, upon you, and you will be my witnesses. I love that. Witnesses, go, go with me to a courtroom. In a courtroom, a witness takes the stand and begins to tell what they have seen and what they've heard. A witness doesn't really do anything. He just sits there or she sits there on the stand and says what they have seen or what they've heard, what they've experienced. And that's exactly what is being commanded, what we're being commissioned to do in this verse. We're not asked to do anything except to be a witness to what has happened in our life, what we have seen, what we've experienced, and what we've heard. So he says, look, the Holy Spirit is going to rain down power when he comes. And that power is going to send you out to be witnesses. You don't have to do anything except to tell people what you have seen, 
what you've heard. Where are you going to be a witness? You're going to be a witness in Jerusalem. That was in their immediate context, in their immediate culture, right where they were. In Judea, that's a little bit broader. In Samaria, that was a place that they despised. That was where Samaritans lived. Those were half-breeds. That was the place that these Jews despised going. They despised the people that lived there. They would, they would go around the city just so they wouldn't be seen, so, just so they wouldn't be uh, in contact, come in contact with Samaritans, with these half-breeds. And Jesus says, I want you to take the gospel to your immediate context. I want you to take it a little bit broader than that. And I also want you to take it to a place that you despise, people that you don't like, people that you hate, people that are different than you, people that see the world different than you. I want you to take it to Samaria. But I don't want it to stop there. I also want you to take it to the ends of the earth. I want you to take it to every tribe. I want you to take this gospel, this good news, this event that has happened to every tongue, to every nation, to every color, red, white, blue. It does not matter. I want you to take this gospel to the ends of the earth, to every corner of the globe. And I don't want you to stop until it gets there. Now, just as an aside, when Jesus gave this command, you and I, or the ends of the earth. We would not be here today. We would have never heard of the name of Jesus if they did not take this commission seriously and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. That is why today there are more people who are believers who have claimed the name of Jesus speaking Chinese than there are Americans in total. And I'm not talking about Christians that are Americans. I'm talking about Americans, all of us together. There are more Christians speaking Chinese because there were 12 uneducated men who took this commission serious and took the gospel to the ends of the earth. There are, there are Americans, people speaking English today, half of a world away from where this commission was given, 2,000 years later, because 12 uneducated men took this commission serious and took the gospel, were witnesses to Jerusalem and to Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We are evidence of this reality. These guys took it serious. Charles Spurgeon, he's known as the Prince of Preachers, put it this way. And this is for me just like it is for you. Convicting for me just like it is, I hope, for you. He put it like this. If Jesus is precious to you, you will not be able to keep your good news to yourself. You'll be whispering it into your child's ear. You'll be telling it to your husband. You'll be earnestly imparting it to your friend. Without the charms of eloquence, you will be more than eloquent. Your heart will speak. Your eyes will flash as you talk of his sweet love. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. You either try to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ or else you do not love him at all. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and totally silent tongue about him. You really know Christ? You are like the one who has found, if you really know Christ, you are like the one who has found honey. You call others to taste its sweetness. 
You are like the beggar who has discovered an endless supply of food. You must go and tell the hungry crowd that you have found Jesus and that you are anxious that they should find him too. That is exactly right. This morning, this is a commission for us. And if he has died, and he has, and if he has changed your life, and I pray that he has, the only result, the only outflow, is that we would take the banner and move it forward. In Web City, in Missouri, in the United States, and to the ends of the earth. Wellspring Church is our turn. Every generation for 2,000 years has carried the banner, has moved the ball forward down the field, has taken the gospel a little bit further. And today it's our turn. He continues. It says, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Next verse. And while they were gazing into the heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Last verse. This is this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is a crazy scene. I mean, there are 12, 11 guys and then uh, a few others, about 120 in all. Jesus is standing there and he says, here's what I want you to do. I want, to ta- I want you to take this good news to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You're not going to do it by yourself. I'm sending down power that the Holy Spirit's going to bring. But I want you to take this news to the ends of the earth. And then before he gives them a strategy, before he gives them a plan of attack, he is sweeped up into heaven. He goes up to heaven on a cloud, the Bible says. And these uneducated, normal, everyday people, people without a lot of, of, of cultural or social collateral, stand there looking at each other. And I'm sure they were thinking, the ends of the earth? Jesus, do you know how big that is? And I'm sure his response would have been, I do. And I can see it from here. Now get busy and take this news, this gospel, to every person that you come in contact with. And that's exactly what they did. My brother lives in a country where there's about 30 to 40 missionaries. And in the city that he lives alone, there's about 20 million people, 18 18 million people. Many of them, most of them, have never heard the name of Jesus. And there are countries that, that border his that are experiencing that are living in more lostness than even his. Dying, headed towards a Christless eternity. Because they've never heard the gospel. And it's our job to take it. The banner is ours. The baton has been placed in our hands. 
And so, over the next few weeks, we're going to see how this gospel spread. Chapters 1 through 7, we see the gospel take hold in Jerusalem. Chapters 8 and 9, we see the gospel overflow out of Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria. In chapter 10 of Acts, we see this young guy named Paul take the gospel, take the banner, take the lead, and taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. The, 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 the church in Antioch becomes a sending agent, a launching pad for the gospel to the known world. And we're going to see that happen. And at the end of it all, we're going to see that it's our turn. This good news, the gospel, if you know him today, it's our turn to move the ball forward. So I hope you'll join me over the next few weeks on this awesome journey through the book of Acts. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you that 12 ordinary men took this commission serious and were witnesses to what they had seen and what they had heard. I thank you that every generation between them and us took serious this commission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we sit here today knowing that the story is true, not because we were there, but because we're here. Not because we were there, but because we are 2,000 years later, half a world away in another language, speaking, singing of the glory of Jesus and the, 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 the life that he provides in the cross and in the power of the resurrection. Now it's our turn. May we take the baton and move it forward systematically strategically but ultimately for your glory may Webb City, Missouri be turned upside down as a result of a couple hundred people taking serious the commission to make disciples to be a witness in Jesus name we pray